we're in pain, and this is the cost of putting us out of our misery. Because <laughs> we're America's most tepid podcast, the pod people. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I've been brain-fucked since birth. That, that was mine! <laughs> <laughs> you said you had a second one. I do, I do. I'm Ben Sheets, and hold up now, you mean to be telling me I can't believe what I see on TV? That's right. You can't believe it. It's not butter. Or fire. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Hi there. I am number five. I'm in Cleveland Mosier. That was a movie about psychics, right? I don't know. I never saw it. I think that was I am number four. That one, yeah. Yeah, damn, you fucked it up. I'm number four. (laughs) That's okay. You tried, just like this movie did, but also... (laughs) Failed miserably. (laughs) But also just like this movie. (laughs) Just ate wet cement. (laughs) Tripped over your own feet out of the gate. (laughs) Yeah. Fire starter? More like fire sharder. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well... I don't like saying that about movies. But, but here we are. But sometimes... Here we are, folks. Sometimes movies are bad. Sometimes. Sometimes movies are a wet fart. Yeah. This one, I'm not feeling so hot, hot, hot about. Yeah. I'm definitely sure. not fired up. That's I'm, for sure. I'm, I'm a little fired up, you know, with giggles, I think. That's the thing. You know, there's offensively bad movies. This one, I don't think was offensively bad. Oh, sorry. We usually do like an intro and shit. I'm just like rocking yeah. right into it. That's okay. We're talking about uh, Firestarter. <laughs> yeah, the, I probably picked that up. The, yeah. new, the new one that just came out, not the not the 1984 one. Uh, th- this one was directed by Keith Thomas. This is, of course, based on the novel by Stephen King and stars Zac Efron and some other people. Yes. Uh, Written by the the guy who wrote Halloween Kills. Yeah, you told us that Uh. as the credits were rolling and so many pieces clicked into place for me. (laughs) Yep. Because I I said at one point out loud during this movie, who wrote this? (laughs) Deeply bothered. Turns out, turns out it was uh, somebody who wrote one of our least favorite movies from last year. Yeah. And uh, he's back. Oh, yeah. Scott Teams. That's right. Like it or not, he's returned. And he's just teaming with bad writing ideas well feels a little personal (laughs) (laughs) but here we are my man just does not know how to write dialogue in any voice other than his own i mean other than his own is he an alien is that his voice this movie's weird man we'll say okay part of it too is like i think it's even more egregious in this film because he's writing off of stephen king I, I've always found Stephen King's dialogue to be really weird. I don't mind Stephen King's dialogue. Like, I mean, he's obviously uh, a sort of ideas monster uh, in the same way that, like, Hideo Kojima is, where he doesn't really know how to rein himself in. Well, we said as much during well. the movie, as I think I, I leaned over at one point and said, was this, is this a Hideo Kojima production, you know? And, I mean, Stephen King really is, uh, like proto-american kojima yeah yeah uh because i mean he's just like he he doesn't have anybody to really rein him in and he just throws a lot of ideas at the page and you know a lot of them work really well but i mean also it makes him kind of a messy writer a writer that i like a lot i've read a ton of his books and i love stephen king i haven't read firestarter but like his shit is notably all over the place especially 
when he was like an alcoholic and a coke addict, which yeah. I think was the My, late 70s, early to mid 80s, which would have been when Firestarter, the book, was yeah. written. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's, Stephen King is a real, and in some circumstances, as writers should be, he's a real mirror. Any era of Stephen King, whether it's like recent with like Outsiders or, um, or The Outsider or with It. For instance, Mm -hmm. the book is largely built out of, like, media mythology of the time. You know, he sees Rodan, he sees, you know, like, all these, like, current current things, and the kids are talking about things that are current for the time. Stephen King's always been a pop pop culture guy. Exactly, and, like, his dialogue is just, like, overburdened with it at times for me like my, my preferences uh like uh, yeah, when i was can. reading the outsider i it was just every other line was i saw this on netflix i was i i prefer my surface pro seven you know like and it's just it's so regurgitative and, and also all, it's like all branded. it's branded it's branded and it's also it's also it's very twittery it's very twitter brained esque like well, it's all yeah. like it's it's like really like like this is coming from someone who's like still still tries to consider himself progressive, but like it is, it's very like outwardly. You know, it's looking for pats on the back. You know, oh, it's projective. Yeah. Yeah. Like he really projects like the that that whole like culture it's and per- it yeah it's, it's performative. performative yeah right. and like and I, and I get that in his in his writing too like honestly, especially in, in the outsider honestly I, I don't I don't mind it in his books too much because like while you're right. That is also just how people talk. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. When, when people have conversations, they're talking about, they're dropping pop culture things all the time because it's what's going on. So it can make his books feel dated. I, I think it's impossible to read a Stephen King book and not be able to tell exactly when it was written. <laughs> sure. yep. I thought Which it was not really funny that Apparently. in this movie they mentioned Netflix directly. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's in, what I mean. In yeah, a moment. It's, it's like his writing does that, too. And like that's, yeah. Yeah, where yeah. I get that vibe. Well, it's especially funny because this movie released on Peacock. Yes. As well as theaters. <laughs> okay. So to drop in Netflix. Net- so Oh, man. Yeah, that is funny. Directly. Well, I mean, guaranteed when they were writing and making it, they didn't know where it was going to get distributed. Damn, they're yeah. out here dropping this the same week they dropped the Master Chief sex scene. Incredible. Wow. Yeah. It's a. It's funny you mentioned. What a what we're a not time dating ourselves with what this. a what a time to right. be a. Well, that's the, regardless of when you <laughs> recorded it. The, that is when the movie came out. But like, yeah, I, uh, yeah, uh, what a, what a time to be a Peacock subscriber, huh? But wasn't that Paramount it? Plus? Yeah, that's Paramount Plus. That's a different. Oh, those are different things. Yeah. I think that proves a different point. Paramount Plus used to. But there's be too CBS goddamn many of access. these. Yeah, there's Correct. too many of these fucking things. It's just cable, but less convenient. I read someone yep. say the other day. Like this yep. is a this is a, a non sequitur, but I want to double back real quick because you mentioned uh, Stephen. King's, yeah, I have more to say on that too. Yeah. You mentioned Stephen King's kind of like uh, a performative, like Twitter sort of personality. I just think it's funny that you mentioned that because I had to stop following him on Twitter <laughs> because he was uh, he was one of those Jeff Tiedrick style Trump reply guys. Yeah, who every yeah. time Trump would tweet, Stephen King would like quote tweet him a reply to him and be like you ought to be ashamed of yourself mr president it's sir 
it's, it's like a it's like a small yapping dog at a certain yeah, point. Like I just I can't, uh, I can't. It's boomer Twitter brainworms. Yeah, totally. I'm convinced. Totally. And you know what? My life has been better for it since I stopped following Stephen King on Twitter because it means I can still enjoy his writing. These boomer uh, sci-fi and horror writers they they get Twitter brainworms like. William Gibson, classic cyberpunk writer. Oh, don't has tell the me. same kind of Twitter brain oh, at this point. No. Yeah. And it's just like yes, the 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 work itself is still great. Yeah, totally. Just but separate like, yourself from their online wait, presence you like, and you'll be a happy read Neuromancer, person. he was like the one to predict Twitter brain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> oh my god, the irony is yeah. awful. I hate that. The times come for us all. God damn. Oh. Being an old wow. man, being an old man screaming into an uncaring void is an <laughs> inescapable fate. An out of touch old man screaming screaming into an uncaring void. This is incredible to be like the guy who like yeah, wrote fucking Neuromancer and 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 like it has been fucking neuromanced. Like, wow, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. well. Speaking, hey, moving on. Speaking of sucks, we should talk about the movie. A yeah, little. that is why we're here. That is true. Uh, do we have to? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I want to. I uh, I gotta say, as bad movies go, um, this one I I found to be like pretty entertainingly like baffling and bad at least. At at times, yeah, it, I, it gets I like eye rolling for at, sure. At, but. at times, like uh, one of my like bigger, more serious problems with the movie is that it is guilty of like the greatest uh cardinal sin in filmmaking for me personally which is that it's fucking boring Mm. like i don't mind a bad movie if it's weird bad or fun bad or like what the fuck is going on bad like how did this get made bad the most terrible movies to sit through are ones that are just boring and largely competently made like i think this film was very incompetently written and i don't think the stephen king stuff is the problem in this movie like we we went off on stephen king a little bit well but my problems with this movie aren't the story beats it's the dialogue it's it's entirely here's here's my bit is like screenwriting as a whole yeah Yeah. because the the story is fucking paper thin yeah yeah like in the way it's structured like there's this villainous dsi organization dick suck international (laughs) (laughs) that's never fleshed out at all there's no motivation for them there's no explanation it nope it's just okay there's evil organization yeah evil government agency that presumably did some experiments Mm -hmm. on some psychic like teenagers I get, or whatever i get what they were trying to do and failed at but like what, i guess what they were trying to do is like by not showing us too much of the organization they're doing the illuminati thing with it right like they're trying to show us that they're even you know that we I don't mean, know oh, how big the they are part- but the, the problem is is that when you don't give us like enough texture our brains just fill in the generic and the worst part is they do try to flush it out because they bring in the dad from that '70s show, Kurtwood Smith, yeah, mm, yes. as a Red. as a character, uh, minor character who likes Pixie. emptying pixie sticks and on a putting... windowsill for some reason. What the fuck was that supposed? Was that to be ever about? explained? It, no, it, it, no, none of us no, figured no, that one had out. Any payoff? Yeah, Kurtwood Smith is in one scene Two. where, like the 
well, his voice is in one, but he's only in one scene mm-hmm. physically. He's he's they the cut guy. back to it a second. Oh, okay, time. yeah, he's in one location. Yeah, and it, over the course of the same scene, split in half. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. He's so uh, he's the Ram. doctor who was in charge of these weird experiments that this agency was running. So like the the new captain of Dick Suck International uh, goes to see him in the nursing home, and. Like, that scene was fucking terrible as well, because, like, I feel like that scene in particular really shows off how this screenwriter doesn't know how to write different characters in different voices, because, like, you have these characters who theoretically should be very different characters. They're from different generations. Kurt Wood Smith is like an an elderly scientist who is uh feels guilty about his experiments. And then you've got the captain lady who's like a young sort of hot shot uh government ladder climber who is like overconfident and cocky and like wants to grab the you know get the little girl and use her as a weapon or whatever. But they both have the same voice yeah i will say uh what's his name again kurtwood smith kurtwood smith he does a great job just chewing the scenery it yes, felt like he's he, handing it up a little he knew yeah. what kind of movie this was he's one of the few people that really kind of hams it up i, Which I is, must wish yeah. more oh, people would oh yeah i Same. think i think zach efron was too dumb to realize how corny and campy this movie yeah was. he's he's trying he's trying to serious actor his way through this like as hard yeah. as he can oh, 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 no, you know what? I will give him that. He was putting an effort. I Oh, yeah. You can yeah. tell. Yeah. He was putting an effort. That, I respect, I respect him for that. You can tell that he's trying. And I think if the script was better, his performance might even be good. Yeah. But the script is terrible. So so I've, is he. Kind of. Yeah, I've seen enough of that documentary. <laughs> oh, his, <laughs> on this his show. Net, yeah. His Netflix show. Speaking of talking about things on Netflix, <laughs> the one the one where he like travels around the world with that like uh, like whoa, whoa. that like uh, older uh, like health, lifestyle guy lifestyle yeah. huckster. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because uh, in. This movie, his character claims to be a lifestyle guide. You're right. Yeah. yeah. You think that was his influence, I think. Well, they have that really funny scene where he has like a weird office where it's just two chairs <laughs> facing each other. Yeah, in like an empty room in a strip mall. <laughs> but he's got like these big, like, uh, he's got like this tacky wallpaper that's like a forest yeah. like, behind I, the one woman. I kind of liked that. You know, I kind of I kind of dug it too at that point in the movie when I mm-hmm. didn't quite know the tone of the movie yet. I, I also thought that that was like, kind of interesting i thought the scene was like really weirdly paced the scene was insane they were talking about within an hour we'll we'll go through this session and then the session lasts like a minute minute, yeah (laughs) so he yeah this woman comes in because he advertises that like in three sessions of just sitting there and talking he can like make people quit smoking or whatever um and that's when it's revealed that he he is uh, he has some some psychic powers. He can like uh, telekinetically 
influence people. Yeah. These are not the smokes you're looking for. Right, exactly. All he has to do is uh, crack his neck crack violently. Crack his neck like, like, a gl- like a glow stick. <laughs> yeah, like in every single time he does it he does an anime neck pop he does it to activate his powers yeah which is and then he bleeds from the eyes it just it just made (laughs) me does the eyes an 11 from stranger things it just made me think about all those stories of of like people who uh take way too many psychedelics and that it like builds up in their spinal fluid or whatever they can like crack their back and like activate a trip like his superpower might be a fact Well, it's funny because once he does that, the girl's eyes dilate like she's tripping balls. Yeah. Well, they, you know, that that's like the thing that they do throughout the movie is like when he uh, psychically influences somebody or whatever, like their pupils widen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this movie is so dark. Yo, that that's a whole nother conversation. I, I noticed that. Oh, that my I, God. There's a sound effect every time, like, somebody's pupils dilate. It's kind of like a fleshy, like, expanding sound. Mm-hmm. And I think they put it in because you can't actually see anybody's pupils My... dilating because the movie's too dark. Dude. So they have to put in a sound effect so you know. <laughs> you what know? happened? They they tried to fix a lot in post in this movie. You can tell. Yeah. yeah. Like, the the contacts were another example of something I felt like were totally done in post to try to make sense of things. Well, there's that one shot where, like, we see, like, one of the government agents guys, like, taking them out of, like, a box and putting them in his eyes. But, yeah, other than that... That's it's something like, you could totally get a... After, you know, yeah, 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 a yeah, one yeah. person. So you could get a pickup of that, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the government agents wear magic contacts that prevent the psychicness from getting it i but only sometimes i don't know how that works and not when it matters not when it matters uh <laughs> yeah i don't i i don't understand that's like, introduced in the same scene where like the main character like she blows the front door off of this this farmhouse like with a fucking fireball yeah. and walks outside and his dad's like you should run and and in, like when there's just like a dude a dude is the threat and he's like not even pointing the gun at that moment and and he just his, her dad is like you already told you about running you should run right now and she goes okay and leaves and it's like girl you could have just like fucking done yeah, right? all those She's, fireballs well, dude there's so much of that shit in this movie like I, I mean, even right after that, when uh, Zac Efron tries to use his uh, his his power on the assassin and literally all he does is like crack his neck, start bleeding from the eyes and then fall over like it does. He does nothing. Oh, my God. It's so funny. And, she runs off. It's so many pathetic things. Well, in yeah, one it's like go. We ca- he kind of does something like we see that like the assassin is like looking at her. She's running across the field, but then like she disappears. So mm-hmm. like Zac Efron like made him not see mm-hmm. her. But, but in the like, moment, it is so doofy. It's so dumb. Yeah. But my point is. In that scene, why does the assassin not just shoot Zac Efron? Because the story needs them to capture him and take him to Dick Suck International. Yeah. Like, there's there's no, like, this assassin guy has already killed, like, Zac Efron's wife. His mission is just to get the girl. Like, she's the only one that he needs alive. 
why doesn't he just blow Zac Efron's brains out yeah. right there? Maybe he's feeling like guilt or something. I don't it, know. But it, like, it's the same thing. So like, dumb. why? Why in that scene doesn't she just shoot a fireball at the at the scary assassin mm-hmm. man? But it's just it's like, like because it, it, because the story requires those characters to be other places later in the movie, so they can't have them yeah. die at those well, moments. Like, it just it culminates in such a dumbass moment. You know, she blasts her out with a fireball, and then her dad goes, you know, you should run, and she just kind of runs instead. And then the guy puts his gun down and walks forward, and then Zac Efron starts bleeding from the eyes, and there's this wonderful, like, low shot of Zac Efron, like, collapsing to his knees, because he's an idiot. And, like, he couldn't he couldn't manage, or he, he failed. But, like, this, the music doesn't really, like, sting in a way. There's, like, soft violins to be like, oh, my God, he failed. It's just kind of, like, like a him it's kind of pathetic, like, the way he yeah. kind of, like, falls over, and then, like, but also in the same shot is, like, the old man going, like, <laughs> like, trying to, like, crawl around, and, like, the other guy is just kind of, like, boringly standing there, and it's just, like, it's just, like the saddest fucking thing it's like this isn't like but then sad i'm not moved i'm not we'll saddened by this i don't worry about yeah. the old guy and then yeah like of course you know you do find out that uh uh zach efron was uh you know projecting a, a fake image to buy some time i guess right yeah and and then it's like cool two minutes later i guess the time has been bought and that's that well and, and then, then all the the contact guys show up and it's just like one thing after another it's like wait now these guys have cyberpunk eyeballs like what is going on yeah, yeah. what is this movie well, there's nothing al- like that before that moment also to add to that whiplash is that when the dick suck international agents show up the assassin who is one of their sleeper agents who they've hired reactivated who they have reactivated who they have sent out after zach efron and the little girl as soon as the agents show up he puts his gun down puts his hands up and then they arrest him yeah yeah why he's their guy like and literally the only what was the rewrite literally the only explanation for that we get is when we see him taken back to like the the evil base or whatever the captain lady is just like you left a trail of police corpses you were anything but discreet but literally all she told him was like we need the girl alive like at all like costs. he is he is like but then he has has also like weirdly had a change of heart that is completely unmotivated by anything because well, we don't we never get his backstory overall is so bizarre it's so confusing. they introduce him in like almost sort of like a like an snm sort of like dark dungeon where yeah, like, like out there's in a, a line of boots just lined up and and he's shirtless he a, and he's got a very metal back tattoo yeah it's the hanged man yeah yeah Yeah, and like ebm music is playing like dark electronic and it's just like john carpenter is and then nothing (laughs) well no no it's not even john carpenter that's the one music drop needle drop they have and it's like Mm. nitzer ebb and like (laughs) it's so weird and unnecessary it's like he gets a phone call and puts it on speakerphone and then it's just like this bitch is like we're reactivating you and he's like, no, I gave up that life. She's like, do you want it? But what about doing it for us, though? And he's like, oh, OK. And then the scene just kind of ends. <laughs> yeah. Like the he's, dialogue was like really such, like 
bland in that sequence. He's yeah. such a confusing character. What's his name? Wet Bird? <laughs> Rain Bird. Yeah, okay. my, he's, he's Native American. Okay, yeah. So his um, name was Rain Bird. Yeah. Rain Bird, yeah. I was just thinking it was Wet Bird or something. I yeah. mean, it's, it basically is. And it's like, I don't know if that's supposed to be like, oh, he's hunting the, the fire starter and he's Rain Bird, you know? Yeah, he's, he's gonna, you know, water, fire. Yeah, but he know. doesn't he doesn't do anything like literally the only scene we have of him being like a scary assassin quote unquote is when he shows up at their house like while Zac Efron and the girl are out of the house and he kills the mom but I don't even feel like the movie does a very good job of like making him scary he's just like kind of a guy but dude but not just like kind of a guy in the same way that like Anton Chigurh is just kind of a guy, no. you know. But he's is just like, dude, hor- yeah. but is like terrifying. No, he's just like he's just like he also has powers, kind of. But he never really uses like he, powers. Powers. He's telepathic, so he like reads the mom's mind to oh, learn early that, on yeah to learn that zach efron and the daughter are getting ice cream and then he uses that power he uses his powers one other time later in the movie to draw the girls to, to place yeah to project an image of the dick suck international headquarters uh to into the girl's brain so she knows how to find I don't understand how <laughs> anime, she fi- how she finds it because this literally shit, she I, sees like he projects an image of the building, not where it is, but it's just an image of what the building looks like into the middle of the woods, into the middle of the woods. And then after that, she leaves the woods and goes and steals a kid's bike and is like, which way to the coast? And they point in a direction and then it just cuts and she's outside the building yeah it doesn't what? make any what? sense what? yeah but it's like and once again that character there's the only two times he quote-unquote meaningfully uses his powers in the entire fucking movie and why is he on her side all of a sudden like i'm it's, so bad it's not it's not like he like saw her uh, you know, exhibiting like a tremendous amount of courage or something that like changed his mind, like, oh, she's a fighter just like me or whatever. It was literally like he saw her running across a field and then all of a sudden was like, you know what? No, she is my sister. She is my mother. What's so baffling is he says those lines. They <laughs> try to explain it when he's getting interrogated from the DSI lady. He's like, if you saw her power, you'd understand, too. He literally just saw her blow the door off of a farmhouse yeah. with a fireball. That's yeah, all. And, and then run he away. He wasn't moved then. Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I and I guess earlier when... Uh, when they escape him the first time, she kind of knocks him against the wall. But then he keeps hunting her. Yeah, right, exactly. And kills a bunch of people along the way. Yeah. Like, his change of heart is so confused. It feels like there's something missing. Yeah. Like, and then, like, when he's... So like, where's the rewrite? When he's describing it, it, it felt... Maybe this is going too far, but it felt like borderline racist Native American shamanism kind of thing. Yes. That, like, 
I have seen her spirit and she is she is my sister and my mother. What are you talking? What? What is this? It doesn't make any sense in the context of the film. See, I, apparently that character was originally Native American in the book. I'm sure he was. And Stephen King loves to do that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, in the 80s movie, they kind of changed it so it was played by George C. Scott and not a Native American. Oh, really? Yeah. Man, I want to see that. I need to see that movie now. Yeah. Which, I mean, like, if you're only using a minority character to be a stereotype then maybe it's okay to rewrite it as you know a white guy and not a stereotype yeah you know that's one of the exceptions to you know inclusivity where like if you're gonna make a racist character maybe rewrite it to not be a racist yeah stay away stay away from like the mysticism that like drives that kind of thing into otherism yeah i mean in fairness to the film that part is the only part of the movie where i felt that was in that interrogation scene like otherwise i think yeah he's just a a blandly written character whose motivations don't make much sense but then just right like, good but then like yeah so much of this movie comes down to but just like, right yeah. good please yeah. yeah like i don't i i'm sure even, even the shaman like shamanism stuff aside it's like whatever like at least can 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 it be good that's all i'm asking yeah so and see here's the thing too i bet the book is good I have not read it. I've read a lot of Stephen King. I bet the book is good. I bet he pulls it off. It was coked up Stephen King. That's some of the most fun Stephen King. So I was thinking about it. And I think one thing that differentiates uh, us is that, or in our perspective of Stephen King, is that you read Stephen King. Yes. You've read most of your Stephen King. And I've, I've read a few Stephen King myself, but most of the Stephen King I've taken, especially lately has been via audiobook. And I think that Stephen King's dialogue is a lot easier to take in. If you are projecting that voice yourself when you're reading it. And I think that might be hard to act. I think when you start saying those, the some, stuff the, out some of that stuff out loud, sure. I think, I think that that's where the problem yeah. comes in. I can and, totally see that. Actually. Yeah. And I think that might be part of it. Cause like I've, uh, a lot of the Stephen King I've taken in, especially over the podcast and stuff has been books on tape while I've been painting and, uh, you know, doing work and whatnot. So I, I bet that's it. I bet, I bet there's something to that. that I hadn't thought about be. it that way before, but, that, um, that be. yeah. Cause, and it's like, and the, the thing is like the, the guys who, who, uh, I've, I've listened to narrate those books do a great job. Like they're doing their best, but there's just, I don't know. There's something about hearing some of that stuff out loud when it's like, sure. you know, they're, uh, you know, characters are getting performative and whatnot where it's just like, this is not how people talk. Yeah. Like it's so weird. Uh, but I will say that even in those circumstances, it is nowhere near as bad as this film. I think, this film is when you take something like that that is pretty well written but still like weird like yeah it's presentation I mean, and then you just you just remove the good writing well see here's the thing we've talked about before why stephen king is so hard to adapt mm-hmm. and i think that that is a big part of it it's one of many big parts of it i think another big part is that like stephen king's shit relies heavily on internal monologue his characters are constantly like internally monologuing and obviously on the screen you do you're not able to do that yeah and it therefore doesn't translate well you know there's a handful of good stephen king adaptations sure but a lot of them are 
kind of dog shit. There's Especially a lot of, lately. There's a lot of bad Stephen King adaptations. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always been uh, bad ones with the good ones. There have been, you know, a handful of good Stephen King adaptations. I think... The I think, TV series. You know. I think The Outsider, the HBO show, sure. yeah. is, like, maybe the best Stephen King adaptation ever. They know the perfect... Yeah. Well, mean, they, they do the, the same Shining thing that The Shining but gets. But the, the Shining is an incredible film, but it's a bad adaptation of the book. Fair, fair. But what makes the film good, I think, is the same thing that makes The Outsider show good, and that's that they strip away a lot is of the that, anime logic. Is that the, the people who are making it know how to cut out some of the, like less translatable Stephen King yep. bullshit. The I mean, stuff, the, the anime. Kubrick's, yeah, they, they cut out Kubrick's, the anime shit. I've read The Shining. And and like, I love anime, Kubrick's, but just, yeah. Kubrick's Shining is Doesn't translate. very, very different from the book. Like, it's it's a pretty big departure, which I think is why Stephen King, you know, notoriously hated it when it came out. No. He's come around on it in recent years, or at least he well, says he has. kind of, and then he kind of made Doctor Sleep, which is essentially an attempt to rewrite it to, to his vision. I, I like the Doctor Sleep book, and I still like the movie. It's problems aside, yeah. but uh, then yeah, you get, I mean, then you get movies like this yeah. or Pet Cemetery or recently. Pet Cemetery. Yeah, yeah. I, this movie felt kind of like Cemetery, yeah. the recent Pet Cemetery remake in that, like, they just completely missed the mark. And they're they're trying to get at the core concepts of young girl can set things on fire. Yeah. And kind of completely disregard any other part of the story. And it just feels so hollow yeah. that uh it it's not engaging. There's there's no there's no kind of like character depth to any of the characters in this movie. Like I ha- like I said, I haven't read the book and I haven't seen the the eighty four film, but I think pretty obviously, like the the whole like young girl coming into her powers thing is like a not so subtle metaphor for like puberty and coming of age. Sure. I mean Carrie, right? But right, exactly. Carrie, these the same thing, and that's another thing about Stephen King is he tells the same story over and over again. Um, but this movie has none of that like this is i feel like this is a movie well, that sprinkles i mean it's mentioned at it's the very like, beginning at the very beginning when like zach efron and his wife are talking and like they're talking about how she like her powers are resurging again and uh zach efron's like has like she hasn't hit puberty yet has she and his wife's like no not yet well and it's also like, er- even it. earlier like she's talking to her dad and i think this is the interesting th- like i think it almost is commentary in reverse where she says like uh, or she says, yeah, I feel weird. And he's like, oh, should I get your mom to talk to you about yeah, that? Yeah, she says, there's, she something, says, there's something going on with my body. And he's like, body. no, it's and not he's that. he's like, oh, we gotta go talk to yeah. your mom. And she's like, and he's like, no, not that, dad. The, the bad thing. Yeah. But it's like, that is implied. But this is a movie, this is a story that should quintessentially be coming a coming-of-age story, right? Like, like, Stand By Me, another Stephen King. Like, and Stephen King does coming-of-age stories over and over and over again. It is a coming-of-age story. Yeah. Like What the, we really need to write right now is a coming-of-old-age story. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, this movie is not... Not to a, be elder-phobic or whatever the term is. There's a term for it, I forget. 
age ageist. Yeah, that's you're, a you're ageist. Kind of like elderphobic though. <laughs> it's funnier. Eldenphobic. Oh, I'm no. scared of Elden Ring. I'm definitely no, not. Oh uh, man. The film like should be a coming of age story and isn't because none of the characters have enough emotional development for them to come of age. Well, you know? It almost like, has the same problem that Halloween Kills has, where it's, and then, and, and then, then, and, and then, then yeah. you know, it's not taking characters they set up. For example, early in the movie, they set up, like, a bully character that bullies the little girl. The redhead. And that's... Totally forgotten about. Completely abandoned. Well, and we come back to kids later, but it's not the same kid. Yeah, no, either. I mean, it's different and they, kids, and they kind of... But it's also... They also all, call her weird the same way like she did. It's all, like, generic bullying. It's yeah. like, oh, you're a weirdo, you're a freak, when, like, outwardly, she's just, like, a completely, like, normal child. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, like kids bullying like doesn't necessarily have uh, the strongest logic behind it but in what these is it with kinds kids of- on bicycles and stephen king my man loves a bicycle. He, he, he loves kids on bikes. He he loves he loves the ye old days of riding around on bikes with your friends. Yeah. Before the internet and president and, like, even, and, and president old Trunt. Yeah, cuz even like it ends with him like riding around with a boner on his bike. Yeah, that's true. It does. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh-huh. That's how he brings his wife's mind back from uh, his, the, his bike boner, the far flung uh, realm of cosmic horror where Pennywise sent it is. Yeah, he puts her on a bike and then gets a boner. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen King is so funny. man. <laughs> He's so funny. It's like, you tell, it's like when you put it, when you put it that simply, it sounds like what you say it out loud. Like, what man? It out loud. Like, how can, how can this, how can this be? good but it is you know <laughs> it is like his, yeah. his shit is good it's just it's so funny to me like of, of the three of us i think t's like you watch the least anime like it's incredible yeah i mean i get my i get my anime logic from different uh different sources yeah stephen king and professional wrestling yeah yeah that's true both anime respectfully yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Can we talk about the opening scene? Yes, we absolutely <laughs> yes. have to mention this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean. Because I genuinely cannot remember <laughs> the last time I laughed that hard, hard in a, in a theatrical <laughs> film. Holy shit, dude. And I think it was unintentional, dying. too. It yeah. was 100% unintentional. I, I had just it about. It was not supposed to be funny. I had, I had just about finished laughing over it. And then Tease to the right of his show was like, like it's just I, you were you were racked with it, man. I, it was I so missed, funny. I missed the entire transition into the next scene because I was laughing too hard. And what I was laughing at is uh the 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 very beginning of the film, the opening scene is Zac Efron and his wife with their newborn baby. They put her down for a nap in her crib or whatever. And, uh, you know, she she sets her her little uh, mobile on m- mobile, whatever, hanging over her crib on fire. Her mobile. A mobile, mobile, mobile. Um, and Zac Efron runs Mobile, in- I believe. <laughs> 
That's how it's pronounced. Zac Efron runs into the room, and the first funny thing that happens is he like swats the the like burning uh, mobile whatever into the crib, like on top of the baby. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought that was funny first off the bat. Yeah, like but a then, confused cat. Yeah, but then he he pick he picks the baby up and is like holding holding it out in in front of him and it's sort of like a uh, an over the shoulder shot of the baby looking at Zac Efron he's like holding her at arm's length and then without warning the baby bursts into flames <laughs> and then it hard and it hard cuts yeah. and <laughs> i laughed so fucking hard it was so unexpected a combustion so baby out of the blue yeah I, it's like this movie beat one we're setting a baby on fire yeah. fuck it's you one of, it's one of those things that like describing it i know it doesn't sound as funny as i found it <laughs> but it's just it's the way it's cut. It's yeah. the way it's the way it's cut, and it just like it comes so out of the blue, like so unexpectedly, and you know, honestly, like that, like for the first fifteen minutes of the film, like won me over because yeah. it it set a tone that I expected the rest of the film to have, mm. which it then did not. So it's like. Yeah. Really false advertising. Yeah. I'm the glad best you mentioned mo- that. The best moment of the film is two minutes in. Yeah, it's setting the tone. You can skip the rest. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> it didn't really set the tone. So, um, yeah, uh, here's here's what I'll say for the film. This is not praise. Uh, I think I think you guys are largely right about about having a lot of boring shots and sequences. God, it's so boring. You know, like fortunately, yeah. like my you know, I can just let my mind wander or whatever else, uh, or just kind of. You know, like it's it's whatever for me. But um, the one thing, I, the one way, like I think I've kind of been broken a little bit is that my most recent comparison for bad movies is Morbius. Um, and this movie, I'll, I will again. This is not praise. I will say it was a hell of a lot more engaging than Morbius. It's better than it's better than Morbius. Well, okay, but that is the lowest comparative. Like Morbius, is, like Morbius is was fucking boring. It's better. Th- it's better I would than not watch Morbius it's again. It's better than Morbius. It's more boring than Morbius. You think? I do I, think so. Oh, you know, know, I'm gonna make a bold statement. I think this movie is more a more incompetently written than Morbius. Yeah. Whoa. In yeah, that, in that, Morbius at least has some of the veneer of Marvel boardroom, you know, working on the writing somewhat and helping storytelling. So, by, so uh, yeah, it's, by committing exactly. So it's boring and generic slop, but there's a semblance. Somewhat there. I think it makes it worse for me. I, like also, like Jared Leto was like so flat in that film, but here at least like Zac Efron, Efron was trying. Well, finish finish your thought, Ben. Well, in Morbius, it didn't have quite the end then syndrome that this movie does, mm. and that sort of incompetence of screenwriting in terms of uh, narratively building out characters is such a glaring indication that this is bad screenwriting. See, here's... I mean, it's it's certainly bad screenwriting, and uh, so is Morbius. Let's not... Yes, let's, yes. Uh, let's not... The worst. Let's not get it twisted. Here's where I think the difference lies for me. 
I think that the that this film has worse dialogue than Morbius. It has funnier dialogue. It has worse dialogue than Morbius. In yeah. Morbius, like the dialogue's not good, but it's relatively inoffensive. Where in this movie is just like every scene, it's like people don't talk like this. Yeah, Why is this I, happening? But I found that engaging at least. The difference, and I I do I do think this movie's better than Morbius. The difference is that because this film has very little in terms of plot, it is much less convoluted than Morbius. Yes, I will agree that. In terms of plot points and beat to beat storytelling is way messier and more mm. all over the place than this movie is. It's much it's just less, at the tail end. It's much less comprehensible. But because there's nothing going on at any point in this movie, that makes it just unbelievably boring and the terrible dialogue just compounds on top of that. I don't yeah. think the margin between this and Morbius is huge. No, no, but, not at all. But I would, I do think I would rather sit down and watch this movie again than. Yeah, Morbius. it's got a flaming baby in it. I mean, come on, just give me the first five minutes of this movie. Yeah, yeah. that's that's all. That's all. But but is it what I saw on the TV? See, this is the thing is, I want to show this movie to friends. I have. Uh, oh, it's on Peacock. Yeah. Um. Why did she set the cat on fire? It scratched, because it scratched her. her. She, re- she reacted yeah, to it. Yeah, but really like, reacted. did we really need a scene I, of her just charring no, a cat? I was not I, a big fan of that scene. I wasn't a big fan of that scene either. Like, I'll probably be removing at least half a star for that scene alone. Yeah, I mean, I, like that was a beautiful orange tabby cat, and like I didn't want to see it. Generally, uh, I don't, I don't like when they, when they kill animals yeah. in horror movies. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. But yeah, this movie was particularly like, gratuitous because like, like you can char she, people all day man that's she fine chars, she chars she the cat but like it's still alive <laughs> oh. and like i guess like fuck na- you no one wants to see that narratively that does have purpose because it's when zach efron teaches her it's like you you fucked up you did this you the animal is in pain. You have to put it out of its misery. This is the cost. That's what he says. This is the cost. You have to, like, now you have to finish it. And she does that again later with the agent in the parking garage, which they try to set up, like, some sort of emotional tie for us, the audience. Because, like, when he's getting into the car, he's, like, talking on the phone with presumably his wife being like, I'm sorry the nausea was bad today, babe. At least you're almost done with the first trimester, right? I rolled my eyes. (laughs) so fucking hard when he said that. Light at the end of the tunnel so he could be like, oh, this guy's got a family. He's got a wife. He's got a baby on the way. And then you know, he Just like when Zach Efron killed those guys and he he says that. He says, yeah, they probably probably have wives and kids and it's like I'll I'll come back to that, but like then he tries to the agent tries to pull a gun on the little girl, which she makes no sense because earlier in that scene he indicates he knows who she is 
and you know, assumedly knows what she's capable yeah. of. Yeah. So why would you? And she because script needs, needs him to be burned, and they didn't exactly, think that through. Exactly. She yep. says to him, like, I don't want to. She says, yeah. I don't want to yeah. hurt you, Mister. So Just dumb. tell me, like, is my dad in this building? And then he tries to pull a gun on her. She shoots a fireball at him. Uh, you know, like burns him horribly, but he's still alive. And then she repeats the line that Zac Efron feeds her when she burns the cat is like he's in pain this is the cost you have to put him out of his misery so she torches him and it's like but why though but why what you all because think the of, film needs it to happen what but you all why? think of the the burned effect on him i thought it looked good it, yeah i thought it was pretty it cool. reminded me of gus fring kind of yeah yeah, yeah 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 no yeah. i thought i thought it looks good like there there uh and you know we can talk about this too there uh there are a handful of effects in this film that i think are pretty well handled all things considered yes um there's there's Big also old asterisk on that though. there's also a lot of like kind of underwhelming cg like when the she like shoots fire, fire bad, like yo. when she blasts yeah. the fire well like, some... like those effects were like like her hair is like blowing and there's like all like the fake fire around her like it looks yeah that's that's bad. cg it, and it looks it's bad bad yeah but like when she's trying to escape i'd almost the... prefer bad compositing than like totally cg fire when she's trying to escape from the facility later and, like, the quote-unquote containment team comes in, the guy's in, like, the full fireproof suits, and, like, she's, like, blasting them with fire and, like, it's not working because they're insulated from it. Like, that was not CG. That was obvious. They got a room with a handful of guys in fully fireproof suits and just sprayed them with a flamethrower. Yeah. And, it, and it's fucking dope. Yeah. Like, that yeah. effect was fucking tight. I agree. Like, when she does the fireballs or whatever and, like you see sort of like the halo of fire around her like it's cheap cg doesn't look great but like the spraying those dudes in the fireproof suits with just just like a flamethrower was a Pretty very rad. it was a cool effect yeah and i thought the the prosthetics on the dude that she yeah. burns up looked well and here's the thing good. the prosthetics on the cat technically looked very good too mm-hmm. that's also my problem with them i really didn't want to see that yeah like i uh, i know this is a horror movie podcast i know it's like our our deal or whatever but like i'm not above like hating it when a fucking when you kill the dog or the cat in the, in a movie yeah, I'm, the like, same, I'm the same way like I've fuck never you don't that. do that I've like that. come on like yeah. like i'm here like your your average audience member like and i'm 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 with this like your average audience member is just like come off of a long day of work i want to watch a horror movie and have fun and i just i just don't want to see like a beautiful orange tabby cat get burned alive it, thank you no yeah like, I'm with you. it's I, okay like i don't know like i also love the thing and the thing does have like a whole like a whole sequence of like melting dogs that, that fucking roll which is hard which is hard to watch but like man it's so well yeah. done but like it's it's puppetry like and like i yeah. know that the cat is too i don't know okay i don't know if now's the time to deep dive on that but i guess you're i don't know i, I just kind of contra- I'm, I'm contradicting myself openly but i what what is it why why did this bother me but like in the thing i just think it's rad because it's, it's be- because it's purposeless in this movie yeah oh you know you can just cut well it out said. and it would no, be it no gratu- right, right. It by definition gratuitous. Yeah. It's, yeah. gratuitous. It's, it's gratuitous. Yeah, it is. It's not necessary. And yeah. like, yeah, if the, if the cat the thing, dying had served thing, better serves, purpose, in the thing it serves purpose because because it's just like it scratches her a little bit, thing, and she like just like yeah. yeah, you're right. That's what it is. Because Thank in, you. The, in the thing, the thing comes to the camp disguised as the dog, right? Yep. So they put mm-hmm. it in with the other dogs, and it's 
when it kills all the dogs, there's like the reveal of what it is. Yeah, like, and it's the audience it's, we learned that last time. It's, it's not fun to watch those those beautiful husky dogs die, but like <laughs> it is it is the the purpose it yeah. serves is because it it needs to be horrifying. This is our first view of this like utterly alien entity that is about to be loosed upon yeah. the base for the rest of the film, yeah. you know. Whereas, it's just like, unnecessary in yeah. this movie and gratuitous. I want to go back to It's also to the- a bad movie, so I, I'm harsher on it, because if it was a good movie, then it would be like, you know, that scene was hard to watch, but it's like, the movie's good, it's like, it serves a purpose, and this, it's like, no, the movie sucks, the writing's bad. And, and I get to watch and, a, a and beautiful also, tabby get burned. And I also burned. have to watch a kitty cat well, get burned That's up. the thing, yeah. like, with... A lot of the good effects in this movie, they're undercut by shitty writing. Like yeah. the 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 flame suit guys. Like yeah, that someone, was a someone cool worked sequence. really hard on that. And then some one of them just takes off his helmet. Yeah. And it's just some random guy that I guess dude. we're supposed to recognize. If, I don't think so. But I don't think we ever like introduced it. that it, character. It was yeah. done in a way where it's it feels like it's supposed it to be a reveal. It feels like a reveal, yeah. And because he's like, there's no reason for him to take it off knowing her powers. Yeah, why would he? It's the only thing protecting him. Yeah. And then, it's, and then that, again, which is already undercutting one thing, is undercut again by Rainbird showing up behind them and shooting all of them Mm -hmm. because whatever fire can't accomplish you can accomplish with a gun right (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah it's it's all too bad she's not gun starter (laughs) (laughs) gun starter water starter why is that so funny (laughs) that's so stupid I uh I I wanna I wanna go back to something that that I left a footnote on uh, a, a few minutes ago, which is like the sort of purposelessness of of all of this shit because like Zac Efron like is trying to teach her empathy. He's yeah he's he's trying to he's trying to teach her empathy and is telling her like you know. I'm trying to teach you to control this power so you don't have so you don't hurt others like that's that's the hard lesson with the cat right is that she doesn't want to kill things and then she has the lesson again with the guy in the car she doesn't want to kill him she's like oh now I have to put him out of his misery he's in pain it's just like with the cat and then when she goes in to the base and meet Zac Efron and the the captain lady gets to have her boring shitty monologue then Zac Efron does what he says he doesn't want to do and uses his psychic power to basically like set her off like a bomb and like implant he insects the the uh, the idea is like you got to burn it all down and so she just like goes crazy and just like kills everybody yeah. it's like what is the message of this like that's so like obviously the bad guys have to die and we have to burn it down but like her dad forcefully like well, setting her off like a bomb well, like especially feels- when like there was pre like previous dialogue between like Zach Zac Efron and the mom where like 
they there's an exchange where Zac Efron doesn't want to ever use it on like push the push thing on yeah, her exactly because he doesn't know if it's gonna like fuck up her brain right like like well, he doesn't and, know if like he, he's like gonna like like harm her or anything else like that and of course that's that's Chekhov's telepathy of course because he says it we know that at some point in the movie he's, he's gonna, gonna have to he's gonna be forced to use it on her but the reasoning for that it just does like ultimately. It feels so nihilistic to me. Yeah. It's like, what is the what is what is the movie trying to say with that? Yeah. Well, and I want to go back to that sequence where he says, "I don't, I don't want to." You know, what if it breaks her brain? There's almost an implication there that he doesn't actually know what this does long term to anyone he uses it on. That's what I mean. Even an an implication. He says it out loud. Yeah. So like. Going and like helping people break smoking habits, he's just giving well, them that. No, no, no. that I like. Like, well, like that's the they don't do a great job of breaking it down, but it's that whole idea of like he's willing to do anything for her. But, well, but he's because, like, well, but mm, right, because like later on too, he he bribes the pickup truck guy with a one dollar bill instead of a hundred, like yeah, trying to do edit, that. He, that's edited badly. It looks it terribly. It looks like a continuity error. It does. It looks yeah. it looks like a continuity error, but it is supposed to be like he's handing him a one dollar yeah. bill, but using his psychic power to make him think that it's a hundred dollar bill. But it's only a one shot where it's a hundred, and like it's well, no, it's in every shot it's a hundred. It's only in one that's what shot. I mean. Sorry, it's the yeah, one. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's only, only one, one shot, shot where it's a one dollar bill. One, and it's when it's over Zac Efron's shoulder, and he's handing it to the guy. So it's not like the focal point of the shot. So it looks like a continuity error. It mm-hmm. looks like in all the other shots he's holding a hundred, and that shot he's holding a one. But yeah. My point being that like he he hands he does it there, and he's like willing to fuck this guy over. A little bit who could be a nice guy and who kind of is like just to help to help his daughter again. He's willing yeah. to do anything. He kills those guys uh, who who kidnapped her when she was a baby. Flashback. Um, yeah. And he even mentions oh they could have had families or whatever. Like we see that like on several occasions like he's willing to like harm other people to protect his kid. Not uncommon uh, narrative in these yeah, sort of like his... parent horror f- f- movies. The the thing is is that to then use that thing on her which could cause long-term damage that could do whatever like they said in the movie like you brought up ben to turn her her break in that to to do exactly what dick suck international wants to turn her into a weapon which she is then going to have to live with the implications with yeah like live with the memory of what she's done like yeah these are all you know quote unquote the evil bad people but he does exactly what he says he never wants to do for a reason that doesn't feel just i mean i guess it's to save her but like I don't know. I I do want to circle back though to like his his quote unquote job of being like a, a a life coach or whatever. I will say though it's underdeveloped. I don't mind that necessarily. I don't I I see what they're getting at. Like the whole point is that they've been on the run. They make a point that they don't have cell phones or use Wi Fi because people can track it. So he's doing this. He's 
fucking with people's brains because it's the only way that he can make money. He tells the woman in that session that he only takes cash. So that's why when he says to his wife, it's like, we don't know what this does to people's brains when I do it. So I don't want to do it to her. So like the implication is like, he's forced to do this because they have no other source of income. Man, I think that's capitalism is a motherfucker. I think, I think that's fine. I think it's, I think it's Mm -hmm. extremely underdeveloped, but it's, still doesn't make his decision to use it on the daughter at the end any more justified i think no, i think even less i think just. from i think from a storytelling perspective the obvious if cliche answer is to have something happen where uh captain dick suck international kills Zac Efron, the girl becomes enraged, she sets herself off like a bomb because it's the powers yeah. are triggered by her emotional state. We've mm-hmm. seen that throughout the rest of the film. Yeah. That's all that's needed. But for Zac Efron to turn his daughter into a bomb like against her will, what is the film trying to say with that? There are a couple of times in the movie where it feels like it's kind of trying to say that he's like a bad dad that like he doesn't necessarily know what's best for her but it that is also so underdeveloped that like that doesn't feel good either like if they were gonna if that is what they're trying to say then they should have leaned harder into that well and they really should have developed why the DSI is so insidious more yeah. too because like it really doesn't feel like that is justified you know like they're trying to turn her into a weapon sure but like they don't really feel like evil evil in the movie the film doesn't make them feel evil enough. Like, like I'm willing to believe that they're evil because they're a shady government in organization sure. we're all evil sure. already it, it, it's inherent it comes with the territory sure. but I think from a storytelling perspective you're absolutely right yeah. like, we never see them be outwardly evil other than that they send this assassin after this family yeah and we get like i feel like they try to develop that with the opening credits like the uh the weird like experiment interviews with the two parents and they have like weird blurry footage at one point one dude like cuts his eyes out yeah, they they do that over the opening credits where uh, like Aesthetic. Whole, yeah, and you know I I thought that was was pretty well done. I thought the uh, was cool. I, I think didn't think the the eyes thing made any sense. Yeah, no. but it was cool. Well, I mean the the idea is that they've been experimenting on all of these people who all have like different psychic powers. So who fucking knows what that was supposed to be? You know the the mother is is telekinetic. She can fling things around. You know mm-hmm. and the daughter inherits both her parents' powers as well as the the fire starter powers, so she can make people do things and then also fling shit around. It, man, anime. Also, she can uh, unlock all card doors telepathically Do-do. somehow. 
Yeah, I I mean I guess that has to do with the the telekinesis. telekinesis or whatever. But I mean, yeah, it's like she's she's all powerful. Like the it's child- just random rules. It's like whatever yeah. they want her to do, she can suddenly. You know what? Do. Yeah, it's a little un- you know, know it's, training or practice. It, honestly, it's almost unfair of for me to say anime because usually anime still has anime logic. The, but like this is almost devoid of logic. You know yeah. what it is? The character of the little girl is a MacGuffin. She's a walking MacGuffin. She's a walking MacGuffin. Yeah. She's important because the film needs her to be, but what she actually is is unimportant. You know, and it's dumb, and it's a bummer, because the idea <laughs> is is really cool. I was always a really big, like, X-Men kid. I always loved that whole idea of, like, you, like the mutants as being, like, a metaphor for, like, being queer and, like, all the other stuff like that. I always thought that was really fun. And they're just a little bit more, like, cool and punk than some of the other superheroes and stuff. And that yeah, idea sure. of, like, being on the run for having your powers, you know, was always really cool to me. I always thought that was super neat. The thing I was like about Spider-Man, too, you know, he's being chased after. But, like, with with the mutants and stuff, it was always cool because it was like, oh, it's this thing. You just have it. You didn't fall in a vat. You just... Yeah, these, yeah, you're born with it. It's a mutation. It's a mutation. Yeah. You were born brain fucked, or however this, uh, you were, however <laughs> brain, this movie brain said it. Fucked since birth. birth. Yeah, that is such a <laughs> wow. What a horrible line. Um, but uh, my my point is, is that like this is basically an X Men movie, right? Yeah, basically. Sure. But almost all of the X Men arcs I have read have been better written than this. Like, yeah, 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 like, it's, it's just wild to me. I believe the source material is probably much, much better than this movie is. There's a bit in, like, one issue of Ultimate X-Men where a guy, uh, like, working for Magneto reveals that, like, or it's revealed that this guy can just, like, detonate himself. Like, that's his ability. He can just fucking explode. And... I always thought that was fucking rad. And, like, Magneto, of course, like, uses him for, like, you know, like, anti-mutant terrorism, you know, stuff. And, like, so it's, like, he's using it for, like, the wrong way to, like, you know, try and reach out to the public to try and let them know he's using it for terrorism instead where Xavier is trying to have a school. And I always thought it was, like, such a perfect example for, like, what Magneto was trying to do and, like, how they were polarized on that front. The point is, is that, like, this film basically takes that same idea for that character and says, like, yo, like, uh, I think Red from... Uh, that 70s show basically says like at one point like she could become a nuke like like yeah. she could just be like a walking thermonuclear device and i always thought like terminator yeah and i always thought that like it's sort of a one-off in ultimate x-men but like that character was like so fascinating and compelling and he's used well but like his, we don't get like too much of his personal story and i always thought that like there was a lot to that idea and so like conceptually there's something really neat here like yeah like she could just detonate you know at any time and it's as much of a story about anger management you know as it is about the rest you won't like me when i'm hungry to quote morbius uh and i think hell uh, (laughs) um uh, i forgot about that yeah i i haven't been allowed to forget morbius sorry to take another tangent but i haven't been allowed to forget morbius because in my like whole work group i'm i'm like i've now become the one guy who's seen morbius thanks to y'all in this fucking podcast (laughs) so i get to be like the the morbius shaman i mean who has like all the information about this dumb 
movie I that sucks. I haven't forgotten yeah. Morbius so either, but I, whenever, did forget, I did forget yeah. that you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. Like. Yeah, so, like, yeah, thanks to the podcast now, like, I'm the guy at work, I'm the Morbius guy You're at work. Morbius because guy. Any, So anytime Morbius comes up, people's like, ah, Cleveland, what's your response to this? You're, You've seen Morbius. You're a doctor. You're yeah, Dr. you're Michael enjoying Morbius. the summer of Morbius, right? I'm like, I sure am, boys. I sure am. You're Dr. Michael Morbius, medical Dracula. I am Dr. Michael Morbius, medical Dracula. That is correct. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, what was the tangent I left off of there? Uh, I don't know. Something X-Men. about X-Men. Yeah, it, it, uh, way cooler. Uh, way... <laughs> <laughs> yeah man it's just like you might if you're gonna do this you might as well put them in like cool leather suits and yeah. you know have yeah. the rest of it like we're well, cyclops make them, make them like if you're, not, if you're not gonna go if you're not gonna go full camp make them actually interesting characters yeah. that have you know an arc or development or right. are not uh, just all the same characters. We're saying interesting in two different this, ways, right? I'm saying like visually interesting yeah, and you're yeah, saying yeah. written yeah, and, and, and this, like, yeah, I just either one, but here you don't get either, right? This, you don't get, they don't look visually cool and they're not, they're not written well either. The story has been done a billion times. Like this, I'm, like stranger things has been doing this exact same kind of arc. Yeah. That's why I said. That's you why know? my intro name was I'm number four or whatever, right? It's like there's a billion of these. Yeah, I think I don't and, know. I haven't really seen all of them. <laughs> you keep making references to a movie you haven't seen. <laughs> well, I saw like I saw like part of it at a friend's house once. I think I think it's one of these. I saw the trailer for it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I saw the trailer for it when it was in theaters. Like I saw bits. Um, I, don't, I, yeah, like I didn't see the whole. But but yeah, like this is exactly like Stranger Things in that like it's you know girl discovering powers and on the run from the I mean, the Stranger Things has always been a Stephen King ripoff. Or sure. Some form yeah, of kids sure. on bikes. But it shows that, like, even a little bit more development Absolutely. goes a long way. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Eleven is a really well-written character. Like, her whole dynamic with Hopper and the and rest maybe, is great. Look, maybe the 1984 Firestarter movie starring a young Drew Barrymore is also good. I have not seen it. Fire starring Drew yeah. Barrymore. Sure. Uh, but one thing I can say definitively is that this one, not good. Yeah, sometimes good. less is Barry more. Um, we, well, let's talk about John Carpenter. <laughs> so, yes, thank uh, you. Oh, the, the best you know, thing about this movie. John Carpenter does have a connection to the first Firestarter movie. He was set to direct it, um, but then the thing came out and it fucking flopped in Shame. the theaters and they the were thing. like you know that movie you were gonna direct you're fired um so he didn't do the original Firestarter, and that's probably why no one remembers the original more, fire starter more like fire non-starter I'm hey. oh. <laughs> more like you're fired john carpenter starter <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they they got Carpenter to do the soundtrack for this. Him and his son, you know, yeah. considering how much of the team Scott teams was involved. The Scott <laughs> teams, you know, the John Carpenter adjacent Halloween yeah. kills. It kind of makes sense, but 
not even a John Carpenter score can save this movie. No, I I thought I thought the score was very good. I mean, it was it's awesome. It's very, Way it's cooler very, than what was happening on screen. It's very classically John Carpenter, but it's used relentlessly. Yep. It's just it's a non, the it, it totally is. Like yeah. the movie it, it's like the movie almost knows how fucking boring it is, and it's like we are never going to stop playing this John Carpenter score for even one second. Because if it if we do, you might literally fall asleep. Yeah. And they were right, dude. Because the, like the John Carpenter score is like the one thing that kept me awake through this fucking boring ass movie. This fucking boring ass movie. I was like, oh my god, when is this gonna fucking end? But every time I, I started, a little during like the lab destruction scene at the end. Every time I started to like get unbearably bored, I was like. At least this music is pretty cool. John yeah. Carpenter's good. John, John Carpenter, Carpenter is rules. good, yeah. Yeah, the score's good. The score's good. Yeah. It's it's by far the most exciting thing about the film. And when your music is the most exciting thing about your film, you know you fucked up somewhere. Yep. <laughs> but you know what? John Carpenter, I know for a fact my man does not give a shit. All he wants to do is watch basketball and play Assassin's Creed and make music. Dude, nothing but respect. Nothing but respect. A true king. Smoking big doinks. Yeah. And and playing fucking Metal Gear Solid. He got a little little bag off of this movie. Good. Yep. John Carpenter got a little bag for doing what John Carpenter does on, on the synths. And uh, that's that is the best thing to come out of this movie is that John Carpenter made some money for doing the soundtrack of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I remember them putting out uh, John Carpenter had an interview about people remaking his work. And he basically was like, I don't care as long as the paycheck is put out in my name. Yeah, I think I th- <laughs> the, the, the quote is something along the lines of. Every time somebody comes to me and says they want to do a remake of one of my films, I just hold out my hand and they put a check into my hand. <laughs> they hand me a check. Awesome. And it's like, yeah, dude, I have so much fucking respect for John Carpenter. It's like he just reached a certain age. He's like, I'm too old for this shit. All Doesn't I wanna do all care. I wanna do is noodle around on my synths. Watch basketball, get high, and play video games. And, like, that's how he's spending his golden years. And, like, he has fucking earned it. Yeah, man. Earned it. And every time something like this comes along where he makes some music for a movie or (laughs) he gets some money for a shitty film like Halloween Kills, like... Man, he's fucking winning. Well, that's the thing. Like, he's become a rock star too. Like, yeah, he totally. tours around. He tours with his and son, plays music. Yeah, absolutely. And he's like super into it, and people fucking love it. And like, nothing but respect for the man. He, yeah. John Carpenter, might be the coolest living director. Oh yeah. There are oh, there yeah. are a lot of like great filmmakers who I love and have a lot, have a lot of respect for, and I think are cool. But John Carpenter, I think, is is the coolest living director. <laughs> He figured it out, man. He figured it, he figured it the fuck out. He made like a pretty significant number of just like absolute fucking bangers, then made some shitty horror films in his later years and was like, "You know what? I'm done with this. I'm out of here." Yeah, peace out. Um speaking of peace out, are y'all ready to rate this thing? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh Man, 
it's not the worst movie I've seen this year. It's it's not. Like, it's competently made on a technical perspective for a large part. The writing's fucking terrible. It's super fucking boring. Uh, but I did get a handful of good laughs out of it, and there's a good John Carpenter score. Two out of five. This movie's dookie. One out of five. Yep. I was thinking, like, so usually it's like, oh, this is a bad movie. Usually I fall back to, like, a three. You know, it's still, like, above average on a rating, but still, I, I like to be generous. Uh, but then, like, they burn the cat, so we're going to we're gonna have to fucking dock off for that. And by the end of the film, like, I was trying to catch myself awake. I still want to, like, share this with friends uh, uh, to laugh at in some capacity. And, again, that John Carpenter score, I, I, I'm going to keep it from being like that low uh for it but yeah i'm gonna give it a two well uh that will give <laughs> firestarter 2022 an average of 1.7 out of five wow. odds um, pretty low we predicted this one but we don't have opening weekend yet yeah right? we'll wait so till next we'll, week we'll save it we'll save it for next week um next week speaking of um is another new film, but a film that I expect to be uh, considerably better than this. It's time for the new Alex Garland film, Men. Men is going to be such a palate cleanser. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm legitimately very excited for this film. I we've been seeing the the trailers for a little while, and boy, it sure does look good. Ooh. And Alex Garland has. Uh, put out some of my just absolute favorite media of the last like six or seven years ex machina annihilation devs my man is just like he's in a renaissance mm -hmm. so i have no reason to to think that men will not be great but until then we have a sponsor indeed and we gotta we gotta sponsor it up Ladies and gentlemen, we gotta get paid for this bullshit. We somehow. do, we do. We <laughs> gotta, we gotta get our dues. We gotta get our dues made. And so, this week, Pod People was brought to you by whatever the dog doing. <laughs> What's the dog doing? What the dog doing? That's a. Uh, you know what? The dog. Timeless question. He's what doing, the dog doing? You doing fine. You're doing fine. You're doing fine. Not how the dog doing. What the dog doing? <laughs> <laughs> that is the deeper question. That is the deeper question. Yeah. But on this we episode... All, we all know how the dog is yeah. doing. We're being paid to ask what the dog doing, not how the dog doing. Whatever he's doing, that's what's paying our bills this week. <laughs> what's the dog doing? Getting us that money. And that's all that matters, mm -hmm. right? International crime. <laughs> <laughs> what the dog doing? Robin Banks. <laughs> crimes of the future, am I right? <laughs> future dog cries. <laughs> Alright. It's time. It's time. That'll do it for us this week. If you like the show, why don't you leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts? That would be cool. Please. You can also support us at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. You can become a patron of the show. Shout out to uh, honorary podboy Sam Simon. And also special shout out to uh, our newest honorary podboy, uh, Zach Confer. Hey. Zach, welcome. Thank you, brother. We appreciate your support, and we're happy to have you on the show. Indeed. Um, yeah. So if you want to be like Sam and Zach, again, 
you can head over to patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. Appreciate you. You can also follow us on Twitter at podpeoplepod and at letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at some spooky snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studios. We put out progress on It Stares Back. And you can find my work on DreadXP.com, where there's all sorts of cool games uh, that we're cooking up for you most recently. More like Dread Sex P, am I right? Oh, it's it's pretty great. Uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I will neither cur- confirm nor deny. Uh, but what I will say is, uh, yeah, you can go check out the the fifth Dreadx collection. If it's not out, it is soon to be out. Also, uh, Hand of Doom is uh, uh, available for wish listing on Steam as well. You absolutely should if you like spooky eclectic wizards and doom metal. Like it's the game for you. We're extremely excited about it. It's gonna be rad. I've been having a lot of fun helping paint wizards for that game. So it's nice to nice to. Talk talk about it well that'll do it thanks for listening until next time keep that fire burning inside you Smokey the bear can suck my dick <laughs> <laughs>